He is merciful because he is mercy. That's part of his character. That's part of who he is. Uh, mercy. You, you, do you remember when I preached the message on grace and mercy back in February? Um, one, of the, one of the guys that had, he comes occasionally, but he works up at the women's prison up in Aliceville. He came and picked up a CD of that, and he says, and he told me later, he says, man, they're passing that CD around because I guess, because the middle of that message was a woman taken in adultery. <clears throat> and I was explaining that the two statements that Jesus gave to her, neither do I condemn you, is mercy. And when he said, go and sin no more, is grace. Mercy kept her from being judged. The Lord didn't judge her. Grace empowered her that when she walked away from him, she could live a different life. She did not need to be pulled into that trap again. He, he actually gave her mercy and grace. He gave her mercy when he said, I don't condemn you. He could have lectured He could have, you know, why'd you do that? That's what we do with our kids, right? We, we got to make them feel bad. <laughs> <clears throat> because the greater they feel bad, we think this will help them not do it again, right? This is, this is how. <laughs> do you really feel bad or should I continue? You know, that was terrible. What you did was terrible. Well, the problem there is we're not careful. It's not the behavior that starts being criticized. It's the person. If we're not careful, you know, I, every parent has to learn this. And boy, it was a big learning point for me is that deal with behavior not don't deal with the person make sure that you separate the two and that's what Jesus did he looked at her he put value on her and he knew that that she was in trouble <clears throat> and in that message I, I said they could have stoned her without bringing her to Jesus so they didn't really want to stone her they really didn't want, they wanted to put Jesus on the spot. That was the whole point. There, there was no reason for them to bring her to him because they had the right to take care of that. We get that first glimpse of mercy in the Old Testament when God begins to talk to Moses in Exodus 25 about the meeting place that he wants him to build the tabernacle. And he gives Moses detailed blueprints and descriptions of how to make everything, <clears throat> how the dimensions, everything. And then he starts talking about that holy place where there was the altar of incense, table of showbread, the candelabra, and details about that. That's the holy place. But behind that was a veil in a room that was called the most holy place. We, you know, sometimes refer to holy of holies, but it was that place where the ark of the covenant was positioned. And nobody went into that room all year except for one day, and only the high priest could go in there, and it was the Day of Atonement. It was Yom Kippur. And so when God begins to tell Moses how that ark of covenant is to supposed to be built, 
how the lid is supposed to be. He himself designated the lid that had the cherubims facing each other, facing downward, and that solid gold lid, and he called it what? Mercy seat. It was the mercy seat. And that mercy seat comes into play in Leviticus 16. And this is where we're going to read some, and we'll go to other places. He wanted that to be so specific, and it was supposed to be the most holy. He said, that's where my presence is going to be. My presence is going to be over that Ark of Covenant. And it was supposed to be handled differently than any article in the entire tabernacle. Well, the day that that Ark of the Covenant became part of their worship was on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And here's, uh, well, let me just read. <laughs> we'll begin reading verse 12. We'll pick up the instructions, and I'll, I'll just add to some of the things. Then he shall take, he's talking about the high priest, then he shall take a censer full of burning coals, of fire, this is kind of like a little lantern thing, from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. Okay, he's behind that veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. Even when he went back there, he, he wasn't supposed to get a real clear view of that ark because that's the presence of God. God wanted this somewhat of a shield, this incense cloud to be there. And plus the Romans has this probably unmistakable feel to the high priest, and, he, and I'm sure he was nervous. Because if you mess up, we this cord attached to your waist will drag you out. So if you mess up. So I think he approached what he was doing very carefully. So this cloud was supposed to hide lest he die. In verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring his blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Now, this was Yom Kippur, day, the day of atonement. This was the day that Israel's sins were atoned for, covered, dismissed, that God released the judgment. This was the mercy of God, that God expressed in all of this that he was not going to hold them accountable for their sins that they committed that year. And this was going to start a new year and a, and a new day of atonement would come and they would atone for the sins again. They did this every year. Now the exact word for mercy seat is kapareth. And it means a covering it was that God was not going to judge them for their sins they had committed. He was granting them mercy, kind of like the woman taken in adultery. God doesn't change. There's some people look at the Old Testament and say, you know, it seems like the God of the Old Testament is more prone to judge. And over in the New Testament, he's more merciful. That's, that's ridiculous. He doesn't change. 
He was as merciful in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. All that that they did, the Day of Atonement, was pointing to Jesus. Everything that they did, all the festivals, the, the Passover meal was about Jesus. He was their exit out of slavery. Everything they did was pointing ahead to Jesus. So mercy is the character of God. It wasn't like it came out with Jesus when he arrived. It was there in the Old Testament. So when you look at God's character, it's a, it, it, someone says kindness or love, unconditional love. Mercy involves a lot of those things. It involves kindness, goodness, God's faithfulness, God's disposition toward us. As flawed, sinful human beings, he looks upon us out of his mercy. Now watch this verse. This is Lamentations chapter 3. You'll recognize it. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions, his, his, his display of love and mercy and pity on us fail not. They are new. Every morning great is thy faithfulness. Uh, think about this. Does, is God a God of justice and judgment? Does he have anger? But we got to watch when we say these things because these are not moods. <laughs> these are not emotions. Why does God have anger? How about let's just throw a theological discussion out there. Why does God have anger? <laughs> there's, there's not a, probably a wrong, well, it could, might be a wrong answer, but it's, it's, it's like, take a stab at it. Why, why does God have anger? Disobedient children, all right. You're, you're getting really, really close there. Uh, God is a God of love. Does God hate things? What does he hate? Sin. He, uh, these things that the Lord hate. These six things, seven are an abomination. And it spells out seven different things that God hates. All right, think about this. Hate has to be attached to love. Because if God loves people being obedient, the opposite disposition is that he judges those who are disobedient. Part of the love. If you are a loving parent, the Bible tells, you, tells us if you're a loving parent, you will discipline your children. And if you don't discipline, what does the Bible say? You hate them. You don't want what's best for them. Sometimes we look at love as being, you know, like permissible, that we'll just let them do whatever they want. That's not love. Love wants what's best for them, and God wants what's best for us. And so when he judges us or his justice kicks in, it's because we decided not to submit to him in some area. So all this is connected. He doesn't have a mood shift whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Again, these are not emotions. This is his disposition toward us. He wants us. He wants what is best for us. Remember Nineveh? Remember Jonah? You remember what God told Jonah? You remember what 
He told Jonah to tell the people of Nineveh? Specifically? Okay. Did he say if they don't repent, they'll be destroyed? Oh. He didn't say if you repent. He said, you go tell them, I'm about to destroy them. I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah didn't want to go tell him. We know all about that. Because it came out later why he didn't want to. Because he was afraid that God is merciful. And if they shown any inclination to like, oh, we don't want to be destroyed. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll cry out to God. Maybe he won't destroy us. And that's exactly what happened. God was going to destroy those people. And he changed his mind by what they responded to that preaching. It wasn't like Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people were called by my name. So that wasn't the message. He says, just go tell them, I'm going to wipe them out. <laughs> and he goes up on top of a ridge to watch the show, the fireworks. <laughs> and then he starts complaining. I knew you'd do this. I just knew you'd do this. You'd be merciful. That's kind of like... Well, he kind of knew God was like that. And he wanted to see them get it. They were the Moscow of his day. Wipe them out. That he wanted to see the show. You know, it was like, I knew he was going to do this. I knew it. And God had to kind of do a little disciplinary work with Jonah. But, see, God is not unmerciful. He's merciful and when people reject his mercy, he judges that. There's a consequence to that. It's that all of a sudden he's not merciful. This is his response to people who reject his mercy. What about Rahab? You know, God says, I'm gonna, we're going to kill everybody in Jericho. They're all going to be done. There's not going to be a human being alive when we get through. And then here's this woman, and a pagan, I mean, she's not just a pagan, she's like a woman of ill repute. And she's heard, she's heard, she's heard the news that, you know, these people are out there, and, you know, they've got the Red Sea parted, and like, and she had a chance to help the spies, and she did it because she knew and believed that their God, the God they had, was too great for them to endure. And this is what the Lord said. And he said, put this cord in your window and your house will survive. Isn't it interesting that they didn't hand them an insurance policy he said, you know, the place is going to be destroyed. Hunker down, get under some tables so maybe you'll survive when the wall comes down and we'll dig you out. You know, we have first responders come and we'll find you just like, ooh. And uh, her, her house was only place on that wall that did not crumble. What was that? That was the mercy of God covering her. And that's why I believe he says, I want the lid of my presence, the covering of that box to have a, an implication that I'm your covering. My mercy is your covering. Otherwise, some terrible things are going to happen to you if my mercy doesn't cover you. That's what limitations. If it's not for the Lord's mercy, we would be destroyed. 
He's our covering. The word for mercies, said, it's a different word for mercy. It's found 241 times in the Old Testament, and half of them are in the Psalms. Half of them. It means goodness, kindness, faithfulness. And we know that Old Testament picture, the day of atonement, the substitute of an animal, the death of an animal, the blood of an animal, what we just read in Leviticus 16, it was the blood, the lifeblood of that animal that was to satisfy the justice and the requirements of God for his mercy to be invoked upon the people and their sins to be remitted. The live goat. There's two things going on. You see the bull. The bull was, was the animal. The bullock was the animal that the high priest killed for himself. That was to cover his sin. Before he ever took the offering for the people of Israel, he had to go into the holy, that most holy place once for himself. He had to take the blood of the bull he killed for his own sins, sprinkled seven times on the mercy seat, come back out, and there was two goats there. And they, they cast lots, and the scapegoat was going to be taken out. The other goat was going to be killed. That goat had to be killed, and the blood caught by the high priest, and he took that, and he would lay his hands on the live goat and confess the sins of Israel over the live goat. He would take the blood of the goat that was killed into that holy place, the most holy place, and do the same thing. And that was to atone for the sins of the nation. Someone was supposed to lead the live goat way out into the wilderness to depict that the sins of Israel was leaving out of their camp. And that not only spiritually they were covered, but the nation itself, the camp was covered because the live goat was a depiction of God was removing their sins from their camp. Isn't that neat? All right, listen to this. Hebrews 10, verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The very two animals that were killed every Yom Kippur, every day of atonement, the writer of Hebrews says, they were really impossible to make them what God really wanted them to be. It satisfied his justice because he was doing this as a depiction of his son. Allow me to dive into this a little bit. If you've got your Bibles and you can turn to Hebrews 10, this is really good stuff. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I want to start with verse 1. If you just be patient with me for a little bit here. Oh, we got plenty of time. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year on that specific date, make perfect those who who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? In other words, if it worked, why did you have to do it next year? 
For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder. That's all that was. An annual reminder of their sins. It is impossible. This is verse 4 I just read. Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said this, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. God is, he's saying, it's not the animals that you really wanted. They were just a reminder. But a body you have prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. It was, it was their pattern. But that didn't satisfy God. That's why they had to do it every year. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, the first covenant in order to establish the second one. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice, not the goat or the bull, but by what? By the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest... Jesus himself offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, not on tablets of stones, not on, on a scroll. So I will write the laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, the sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. This is the mercy of God. He chooses. You see, God doesn't forget what we have done. He chooses not to remember. There's a big difference. Forget is when you forget to lock your door. That's forget. He doesn't forget. He chooses not to hold them. See, this is why he tells us that we should forgive like he forgives. And people don't forgive like he forgives. Because anytime they bring something up, they said they've forgiven. They have not forgiven it. Because he doesn't bring it up. And when people bring, I had somebody tell me all the things that their spouse did right there in front of the spouse, just a litany of things. And I'm looking back and forth, and I finally says, have you forgiven him? Yes. I says, no, you haven't. You keep bringing it up. Well, he keeps bringing it. He keeps doing it. But that's like maybe yesterday, but you're bringing up stuff 10 years ago. If you bring it up and it was 10 years ago, you have not forgiven You've not forgiven God's way. And see, there's, maybe, maybe I, I'm preaching this so I can just say this to someone. If you keep a record of wrong that somebody's done to you, and when you get an opportunity, you bring it back up, you are not practicing the Lord's forgiveness. Because he doesn't bring it, our stuff up to us. 
You keep a record, the parable that Jesus said, if you do that, he's going to bring your record back up. It's not that he forgot it. He said, if you do that to people, he said, I'll bring it up what you've done. And I will hold you accountable. If you want to hold them accountable, I'll hold you accountable. I'll reinstate your sin. How's that? Anybody want to sign up for that? So I think somewhere we need to get a little serious and say, Lord, you know, that really bothered me. And for some reason, I'm going to have to get this out of my system because I don't want you bringing up my stuff. And this is what he's saying. He says, their sins and their lawless lacks, I will not remember. I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice or sin is no longer necessary. Now, what's he saying? He's saying in these 18 verses, there is mercy poured out over us through the offering of Jesus as that goat, the sacrificial substitute, so that we don't have to die he died in our place. Just like the people, that, that was a picture of Jesus being the substitute, just like that animal was a substitute that year. It had to be done every year because it couldn't really work. But he says, with Jesus, there's no more need for sacrifice. This is the mercy. God is merciful because he is mercy. His, he personifies mercy. He strives with man, does he? Does he not? Doesn't he work with us? He pursues us. He presses us. He convicts us. He is so much in pursuit of us, in pursuit of mankind, that he sent his son to die for them. Whether or not they accept it or not, he did it. This is the character of God, mercy. Now, I included, I went back. It was February 12th that I preached that message, and I went back and looked at it. And I mentioned this passage out of Hebrews 5 or Hebrews chapter 4. And I think it fits again here. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, think, people, some, some people think God is hard, rigid, inflexible. My mom was an athlete. She played volleyball. She didn't finish high school, but she was an athlete. She was an incredible swimmer and diver. Her aunt was in charge of the YWCA, in Evansville, Indiana. She could do every dive off of a diving board. That's why she was a lifeguard at camps. It wasn't because they just needed somebody to throw, you know, a life preserver out there. And if you, did, if you couldn't swim, it was her ministry to teach you how to swim because everybody ought to know how to swim so you won't drown. So this is what she would do. She would pe get people baptized in the Holy Spirit at the altar, and then she'd teach the girls how to swim. But... She had such a, a love for God. She came into holiness, and she didn't know all the rules that you weren't supposed to go swimming, especially where other people swim. Now, how about that? She didn't know that was one of the holiness rules. 
and she took us off swimming, and she was judged for it. She let her sons play football, and she actually caught flack at church because that was worldly amusement. Can, 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 can you see how misguided that is? That, that That's holiness? You know, it's, it's, and it makes us, it gives us a picture of God is just waiting for you to do something wrong so he can jump on you. You know, I told somebody, you know, my idea of redemption and salvation was that, that under the book of life was a pile of eraser dust because he would write my name in if I did something. Well, that's off. He had to go and repent and he'd write your name in again. And well, that's off. You mess up. And that's not God. God is merciful. He knows he's working with flawed people here. There's none. Is anyone in this building that's perfect? Not even close. We can't get there. This is why we need his mercy. This is why we need his grace. He is infinitely powerful, infinitely merciful. And it's attached to his mercy. God's power is attached to his mercy. His mercy is not the soft side of God. I I hope I can get that message across. This is not about God's rigid on this and he's soft on this. He's he's the same. He He is so patient. Aren't you glad he's not like us? He is so patient. My mom came as close to the picture of God's grace and mercy when she was praying for our brother praying for her older son. She never let off on him. No matter what he did, no matter how many times he was arrested or wrecks or or anything, she stayed the course. She believed that that old boy was going to get saved. She had more faith than I did. I I was pretty much giving up on him, but not her. And see, isn't it great that God... It's not like us. Because after a while, we just get tired and it's like, well, that's the last time I'm going to help them. Right? You ever said that? You ever said that? That's the last time. Aren't you glad? God is, that's it. Not helping you anymore. I'm just tired of you messing up. Were there consequences to Adam and Eve disobedience? But what do you see God doing? Yeah. He went into his own tabernacle and killed an animal and shed the blood of an animal to give them a covering. They couldn't go back in the garden because that was part of the consequences. (laughs) But he didn't say this. I'm not talking to you anymore. (laughs) You know, get out. Get out. Don't come back. I don't have anything to do with you ever again. Y'all blew it. I'll just start over. I'll make two more people. <laughs> but, but he didn't do that. It, as much as they messed up, he loved them. He loved them. He clothed them. And he continued to talk to them. <laughs> he didn't break off communications. He reached out in mercy and revealed his great love the two people that really 
didn't have any TV programs to blame for them messing up, you know, or somebody being a bad influence on them. They, they were alone, only two people, and they couldn't. <laughs> you know, that says something about us, doesn't it? <laughs> we don't need any help. <laughs> we can mess up on our own. And they, they didn't have any past sin to repeat. They just kind of like started their sinful life. And yet, he didn't write them off. You know what? He knew that he knew when he made them what they were going to do. And he knew before he made anything that he and the Son and the Holy Spirit all decided that when the wheels came off of, of the human race, they had already decided that Jesus would one day be that lamb, that goat, who would take our place. From the foundation of the world, he was chosen to be our substitute. That's the mercy of God. You know, I I think we ought to be serious about our lives and serious about our priorities and what we give our attention to, what we read, what we listen to. And those, those things are important. We ought to strive to follow the Lord with everything we know. And, and we ought to always say, Lord, help me, help me to grow here. Help me to understand the dynamics of spiritual formation that